And now it's time for Dave's Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. But he understands its place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. So come along and take a listen to Dave's thoughts about the Walt Disney World Resorts and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk about an original Disneyland attraction. And it's one that uh, went through some changes over the years and was actually became an almost opening day attraction at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World, and I'll explain that in a couple of minutes. But it's a really kind of a fun attraction. It was kind of an interesting look at the way we get to the moon. It was inspired by the fact that we were in the space race at that point. Here it was. It was you know the early 1950s, and we were trying to get out into space, and we were trying to do something cool. So the rest of the story will come up in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, I have the best-kept Disney World and Universal Studios vacation secret. Did you know that anyone can rent a sweet ride and truly get around fast with your pass inside the theme parks? Mom, tell them. Well, Scooter Vacations makes it fun all day long. You or someone you love deserves the best way to see everything. So why not relax and enjoy a true express ride with your pass? Scooter Vacations can arrange it and even deliver it to you. Get around the fun way, have as much fun getting from ride to ride as being on the ride. They fit on buses, boats, and monorails, and some can fit in a car trunk. Upgrade your experience and scoot everywhere. Contact Scooter Vacations at 1-855-WDW-SCOOT. That's 1-855-WDW-SCOOT. Or on the web at scootorlando.com. That's S-C-O-O-T-Orlando.com. S-C-O-O-T-Orlando.com. So when Disneyland opened in 1955, there was a tremendous interest in space. And the U.S. space program was burgeoning. It was just getting started, and we were in a space race with the Russians, and it was really an amazing thing. And everybody was really excited and captivated by this idea of getting out into space and doing something. So by 1955, the Walt Disney Company had partnered up with the National Aeronautics and Space Administration to produce an attraction that was sort of a flight to the moon. And the, uh, the concept was simple. They were going to show a command center and talk about what it's like to get ready to go to the moon. Then you were going to go into a sort of a simulator and actually go to the moon. So it had a certain 1950s kitsch to it to be able to make it to the moon. Now, the way they set it up was that you, it was called Flight to the Moon. And you went into a, uh, a holding area, and you stood on a couple of platforms that had railings, and you were looking out into what looked like Mission Control. Now, Mission Control kind of evolved over time to look more like the Mission Control that NASA actually built at some point. But here was this Mission Control Center, and your host, Mr. Tom Morrow, great joke, right? And you can still hear that one on the uh, Wedway People Mover when you go around. Mr. Tom Morrow was introducing the whole thing to you, and he talked about space travel and getting ready to go to space, and as much as the U.S. knew at that point was pretty much included in there. 
And it was really kind of an exciting thing to, to kind of get involved in the space program. Now, as I said, NASA was involved in this to some degree. NASA had some uh, influence on Disney. Uh, they had gotten some consultants from NASA to come in and talk about the space program and talk about what mission control would look like and those types of things. Now, remember, this is before we launched a single rocket to the moon. We were still in the early phases of trying to get a rocket off the ground. So some of the mission control stations and some of the things that were there really kind of reflected what it looked like at that point in time. So you watched a little video and you watched Tom Morrow tell you about the space flight and it was kind of fun. And once he was finished, then you moved on, went past a uh, viewing port where you could see the rocket being serviced and they were actually fueling it up and it was really pretty cool. So they had this, uh, this nice idea where they were putting it together and then you would go into, this, into the vehicle itself. Now the vehicle itself was uh, one of two rooms. There were two chambers in both uh, Disneyland and Walt Disney World. It was almost like an, a modern-day auditorium where you had uh, seats that went up on a, on a tier and uh, you actually sat down, but they went in a circle. So you were in a, in a theater in the round, in a sense. And there was about six rows of seats that went up and you sat in, sat in one of the seats and you looked at the center of the theater. At the top was a, a view screen. At the bottom was another view screen. And around all the sides were view screens that had different information on them. They were flashing information about you know, what the uh, status of the oxygen level was and the fuel level and things like that. So it was really kind of a clever way. You felt almost sort of, kind of, maybe in the 1950s anyway, like you were in some sort of vehicle. When you would uh, actually launch and you would hear the things happening, you would see, you would take off from the Earth and you would see the Earth receding in the, in the background on the uh, lower screen as though you had a camera pointed down as you were taking off. And what Disney would do, they had, the Imagineers had come up with kind of a clever little device. It was uh, the seat itself had a little bit of a pan to it, so it moved slightly. It actually lowered and raised a little bit, and it shook just a tiny bit. So you, f so you felt some of the things you might have felt had the rocket actually been moving. But kind of clever. You know, they, for, for the time, it was kind of unique. You know, you think back to the 1950s and all of the things that were going on in movie theater design, and they were coming up with these different ideas for putting bass speakers on each of the seats so that the seats would rumble at different times, and they had different ideas for how, the, how they could make the seats kind of raise and lower a little bit, and this took it to kind of the next level. So you were actually watching an interactive video while the seat was moving slightly as you would, as you would go around. You'd see the entire space launch, you'd see everything happening, you'd see some astronauts working outside, and it was kind of fun. And uh, it really was kind of a neat attraction, especially for the time. You know, the magic and wonder of that was not lost in the 1950s. Welcome aboard, friends. This is Captain Collins. The interior of this theater was carefully designed by scientists and engineers to look like a real passenger spaceship of the future. The eyes of the ship are the two TV screens called scanners. The one on the ceiling shows you where the ship is going, and the one on the floor shows you where you've been. Everything has been done to create a perfect illusion of a flight through outer space. In a moment, the bottom scanner will provide you with a dramatic view as we take off for our trip around the moon. That was the breakthrough. We've just passed the sonic barrier. Our altitude is now 25,000 feet. We are still in vertical flight, but soon our course will curve, taking us over the north polar cap. 
We are rapidly leaving the Earth's atmosphere behind, and the upper screen shows our target, the moon, surrounded by the eternal blackness of space. Our ship is now approaching the orbit of the manned space station, which will come into view any moment. As you know, this man-made moon constantly swings around the Earth more than 1,000 miles above the ground. By using our built-in electronic telescope, we can also bring into view nature's own celestial bodies, such as this big comet. Its tail is a collection of extremely thin gases and cosmic dust that become visible as the comet approaches the sun. Our target, the moon, still appears off to the side. The superimposed chart shows you the planned point of interception. The speed of our ship and the moon's own motion will bring us together in space at exactly the right time. Navigation through space requires a careful planning of position and speed of the ship at all times. Our ship is now just about halfway to the moon. On the lower scanner, our Earth presents a beautiful sight. You can see it hanging in space like a huge bluish sphere illuminated by the sun. For the second half of our trip to the moon, our ship must reduce its speed and prepare to circle around the moon. It is accomplished by turning the ship over by gyro and then traveling tail first, using our rocket engines for brakes. Our sister ship is on her return trip from the moon and by using our electronic telescope, we can watch her perform this operation. will execute this same maneuver, bringing our goal, the moon, into view on the lower scanner, since the ship is now flying tail first. People have always wondered about the other side of the moon, the side which is never seen from the Earth. But travelers through outer space can see for themselves that it is much the same as the side facing the Earth. We are now going behind the moon and we must switch to the upper scanner where we can watch the dramatic spectacle of the moon eclipsing our Earth. We'll show you the dark portions of the moon's other side in the light of flares released from our ship. In their sharp light, the craters reveal their characteristic shapes. Scientists believe they were blasted out by the bombardment of huge meteorites when the moon was formed. As we complete our circle around the moon, the Earth again comes into view. Although the nose of our ship is now pointing precisely at the east coast of America, during the trip back, the Earth will, of course, continue to turn bringing California, our destination, into the proper position for our arrival, as indicated by the superimposed crosshairs. One of the things space travelers never do while in space is to look directly at the sun. But by again using our electronic telescope, it is perfectly safe for me to show you a picture of the sun, since we will view it indirectly. We're using a special instrument to block out the disk 
so that you can see the flames on the sun's rim. Those faint streamers of light are the corona. The electronic telescope reveals these solar phenomena, called prominences. Under greater magnification, they're seen as tongues of glowing hydrogen, reaching tens of thousands of miles out from the sun's surface. large area of light seen without high magnification is sunlight, reflected from thin cosmic dust. It's called the light of the zodiac. Now on the lower scanner, you can see that we are leaving the moon far behind. And as we again approach the halfway point, we'll execute our second turnover. We'll finish our trip traveling tail first, ready to use our rocket engines for the delicate landing maneuver. We'll make our landing in Southern California about an hour before sunset. below the speed of sound. just experienced a flight through space, the flight of the future. It will be the final fulfillment of man's oldest dream, his dream to fly like a bird. Now that was called Flight to the Moon. Now when Disney World opened in uh, October of 1971, the Mission to the Moon attraction was not quite ready to go into the park. They had a few tweaks they wanted to make, make some adjustments. Here it was, you know, it was 15 years later you know, 1970-ish, when they were putting this uh, attraction together. So they were making some minor tweaks to what it looked like in Disneyland and uh, making some adjustments to how things kind of looked. And so they made, made a few changes, and the attraction was not ready for park opening on October 1st. But as kind of a Christmas surprise, or a Christmas miracle, if you will, they did open the attraction on December 24th of 1971. About two months later, they got it open. And was essentially the same attraction at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World. The theater was the same, the seats were essentially the same, and the show itself was mostly the same. Now, the show, for its part, when it finally opened in 1971, seemed a little bit dated at that time. Some of the sound effects were a little clunky, a little quirky. You know, you had the, this, these whirring sounds and the, something that sounded like a washing machine almost. When you hear the thrusters on the rockets come up, um, some little um, so sounds in the background that were almost like, you know, sound effects that would have been from like the 1950s movies that we kind of laugh about today, and even in the 1970s that we kind of laughed about as being old and kind of quirky. But it kind of still kind of worked to a degree. And so the attraction was there, and uh, it was really kind of a fun thing. And what I'd like to do now is play the audio from the entire Flight to the Moon attraction that appeared at both Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Ladies and gentlemen, 
This picture is coming from a camera in the first stage. The second stage is moving on into position for pilot. That was the second stage engine ignited. And as you can see, the spacecraft is on its way. Just as you will be shortly.
Isn't that fun? Did you enjoy that? I mean, I really, I, I like listening to it because it's kind of a fun little trip into history. If you think about how excited the U.S. was about entering the space race, it really did work. And there was a certain excitement to it when you hear it. And even as a child going to see it in Disney World when it opened, there was a certain magic and wonder to it. Yeah, when I was six and I went to see it in, you know, in the Magic Kingdom, I remember thinking, wow, am I really leaving Walt Disney World? Am I really going up into space? You know, you had that moment at about six years old where you were doubting it. But of course you knew better. But you just had that moment where you kind of doubted it because they did enough to make you think that. And I remember seeing the moon landing a few years before. That's my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. Now, please exit the moving podcast. The walkway is moving at the same speed as your podcast. Kindly take small children by the hand and watch your head and step. If you have questions, thoughts, or would just like to ask Dave a question, please send an email to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. You can always find Dave's Disney View on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. The show notes for this podcast can be found on disneyworldpodcast.net. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound A Music. You'll find a link to the latest Disney-related autism awareness event on the show notes page. We also encourage you to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There are a couple of Disney-related apps, including a Hidden Mickey's app and a pin trading app.